All right, well, good morning again. And if you have a Bible, you can make your way to 1 Samuel chapter 2. That's on page 226 in the Bibles that are around you. We are going to be reading uh, quite a bit of Scripture today, uh, like a chapter, like almost two chapters. And so you will be greatly helped if you have a Bible open and you're reading on with. So if you don't have one with you, grab one of those black hardback ones around you. Again, we'll be on page 226 in those. While you're getting there, have any of you ever experienced a mishearing or a mondegreen? All right, which is where you, I had to look this up. This is where you mishear a lyric of a song. All right. So some of these things can be hilarious, um, like just mishearing someone. But even some of the mondegreens can be a bit hilarious for me. I thought for years and years and years, and I'm going to date myself, but boys to men they had this song, and I thought they were saying, let's go into the water and try, but it's, let's not wait till the water runs dry. And then I've admitted this one to you before, but it was only like three years ago that I realized Elton John was not asking Tony Danza to hold him close. <laughs> He's a tiny dancer, right? So these things, these mishearings, these mondegreens, they can be hilarious, and then sometimes you have just, like, you just don't hear or you have selective hearing, right? And when it's related to people, again, these things can be funny, but when it's God that we're talking about, and we mishear or we don't hear Him at all, it's not funny at all. In fact, it's, it can be disastrous. And that's the context of what we have in these two chapters that we're going to be looking at today. It's all about hearing God or, or not hearing God. And so it's a warning to us, but it's also an encouragement to us. A warning about not hearing God and an encouragement about listening to God. And so this morning, just two truths right, that are going to frame, though especially the second one's got a bunch of like kind of subpoints. But the two main truths that are going to shape our you know, progress through chapter 2, verses 11, through all the way to the end of chapter 3, are going to be this. Number one. It is dangerous to not hear God. It is dangerous to not hear God. And the second thing we're going to look at is the fact that God still speaks. God still speaks. All right, so we will just jump into it. The first thing, it is dangerous to not hear God. Like Eli's family that we're, that we're going to be with, they're judged for not hearing God. Like Wendy read just a minute ago about how Samuel heard God, but we have also got to go back and look at chapter 2 and explore some folks who didn't hear God and how it was disastrous for them. And so that's the first one. It's dangerous to not hear God. And Eli's family was judged for not hearing God. So let's just read this, and I'll just kind of make some comments as we go. So verse 11. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And so this is about the worst introduction you could have to people, like in the Bible. They are worthless and they don't know God. Now, their dad is the high priest and they are priests. Yet they're worthless, which has the connotation of they are destructive. And we'll see that that's true. And they don't know God. And they're the priests. And so no wonder Hannah's barren 
womb had been a you know, metaphor for Israel. They are barren. The priests here are pagan. And so, verse 12 again, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. And so the Pentateuch or the Torah, first five books of the Bible, that's all they had at this time. It had provision for how the priests would be fed. And it was through some of the sacrifices they would receive some of the food. And while the Torah had specifics about how that went, these guys right now, we're going to do our own thing. And so they brought this great big like pitchfork looking like a Satan, you know, a devil worshiper or whatever, and stab it in and pull out. And whatever they get, that's what they get. They play kind of Russian roulette with their food and they completely disobey God in how they were doing this. And then they would take specifically the fat portions, which were dedicated to the Lord, and if you refuse to give them those, they would take them by force. Look at verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And so now what's going to happen is the author is going to segue to start talking about Samuel. And he's going to do this over and over and over through this, just setting up this contrast between the evil sons of Eli, Phinehas and Hophni, and then the piety and in, in the, in the humility and the devotion of Samuel. And so he's going to do this over and over. Here's the first one, verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. And his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. And so now the author is about to swing it back to talking about Eli's sons, again showing that contrast. But one of the things he's doing in back and forth, back and forth with this, is he's letting the reader see that behind the scenes, God's up to something. Now, in that day, if you're just in that day, you can't see that. Like for these guys, all they can see is the wickedness that is life underneath Eli and his evil sons. That's all they can see. But we as a reader can now look and, and, it's, and we're seeing, oh, God's doing something here. He is raising up for himself a priest who is faithful, who does hear and who will listen to him. But they couldn't see that. We can only see that as the reader. But we need to let that be a lesson to us. 
that in the moments where we're, where we're in the moment and we can't see what's going on, God's still at work behind the scenes. He doesn't stop working. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't grow tired. He never you know, drives an ambulance and shows up after the fact worried about what's going on. He's in control and he's working always for the good of those who he loves and who have been called according to his purpose. Even when we can't see it, just as the folks under Eli's regime couldn't see it in the moment. But he was still at work. All right, but back to the text and in this contrast, swinging back to Eli and his sons here. Verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. All right, and so at best, what we have them doing here is sex outside of marriage. Context is a little bit more. They're probably raping these women. Verse 23. Eli says to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And so basically they have no hope of salvation because they flagrantly refuse to turn to the only one who could give them salvation. They refuse to repent of their sins. So Romans 1, God gives them over to their depraved minds. Their hearts are hardened and he will put them to death and raise up Samuel. Who's contrasted here in verse 26. Look at it. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Now, we did Luke. That was the last book we did. Does that verse sound familiar? Because it should. Luke 2.52. Listen. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 1 Samuel 2.26. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And so Samuel, as he's going to do over and over and over here, is pointing once again to Jesus, but also again just setting up this contrast. The wickedness of Eli and his sons and the piety and the humility of Samuel. And so it's almost like all through this, uh, this section, and all laying out all the evil and all the wickedness that's going on, it's almost like the author keeps saying, but hold on, don't forget about Samuel which is just so like God. Just trillions of times over, God quietly, there's no bells and whistles, there's no big slogan, no big campaign here, just quietly, in his own timing, in his own way, provides for the next moment, even in the midst of dark moments. Whether we know he's doing it or not, he just does. And so he's a God you can trust He's a God you can rely on. And so back to the text, verse 27. We've got some unnamed man of God showing up and just leveling a terrifying prophecy on Eli. 
And while it's not one-to-one because we're not priests in the same sense that they were here, nevertheless, the principle of the fact that like, this tragedy comes from disregarding God's Word, that, that principle still stands, that it's dangerous to not hear God. And so look at verse 27. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling? And honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest portions or parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel. And there shall be not an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out. To grieve his heart and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon you, upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And it shall be a sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. And so this is a heavy, like, prophecy that's just been laid down on Eli and his sons. And it needs to be a heavy thing to us as well, a heavy warning that it is dangerous to not listen to God. It is dangerous to forsake the Lord, to not honor Him, to not hear Him. Because He's God, He rules the universe. When we pray and we think of God, He is a glorious and majestic God. And so it's dangerous to disregard Him. He rules the universe. And He's also set up commandments and rhythms by which the world works and when we just refuse them we are dishonoring god and we're also courting disaster because we're going contrary to the path that he's laid out for life our own good his glory and our own good we're running contrary to that And folks, remember, his commandments are never to keep us from joy. He doesn't do that. Oh, I'm going to give him this, make him, ha ha, you can't do that. That's not how he works. It's to lead us into. He knows how things work best. And so when he says sex works this way, when he says marriage works this way, it's because he designed it. He knows how it works best. And he's leading us into joy. 
And so for the glory of God and our own good, we have got to learn to listen to God, to hear Him. But Eli and his sons can't hear God anymore. They can no longer hear God, and so God is in the process of judging them and raising up for himself a priest who could hear and would hear the voice of God. And so look at verse, or chapter 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Remember his mom had dedicated him. He's in the t- tabernacle. He lives there. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had become, begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. So it's literally like, literally it's early in the morning, right? This lamp hasn't gone out. Symbolically, the lamp of God's presence in Israel was dim, but it wasn't out completely. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and said, here I am. The Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So we went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. This is not the same did not know as Eli's worthless sons in chapter 2, verse 12. The connotation here is not that he's unsaved, but that he's inexperienced. He's never talked to God. He's never heard God like this. Verse 8, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. And then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I, de- and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. It's almost like Eli knew, because he had been prophesied against. He says, May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. 
Now back to Samuel. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That is, he, he, he blessed him. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so God spoke to Samuel audibly, like out loud. And it's this crazy picture. I, I don't think Samuel was like a little boy, like we often picture him. I think he's probably a teenager. So our guys who were just down at Surf and Surf, like that age. And, and, and so, like, I mean, whether he's little or whatnot, God comes into his room. I get that picture. God comes and stands. And at this time, verse 1 tells us there's been no frequent vision, there's no frequent word from God, but God in His sovereignty and kindness came to this young boy and spoke to him. And dear friends, the God of the universe wants to walk into your room and speak to you as well. He loves to speak to His people. I mean, the whole book of Samuel is about God speaking to His people. About his love, about his plan, about his people's sin, and ultimately about his plan to heal their sin through Christ. And so God loves to speak to his people. And folks, God still does that. He still speaks to his people. And that's our second major truth this morning, that God still speaks. So then we have to ask the question then, well then how does God speak? Well, there's several ways that God speaks today. God spoke audibly to Samuel here, and he did so to others as well throughout the scriptures. And then when Jesus came, he told his disciples, I mean, he taught them a lot of things, and then he said that he had many other things that he wished to teach them. But then he went away and he sent the Spirit of God. He sent the Holy Spirit who would come to teach them Guiding them, John chapter 16, into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Now, in the Gospel of John, truth has a name. The name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the Holy Spirit's job, His job is to reveal Jesus. All right? He is a spotlight to shine light on Jesus. So we don't worship the spotlight like we do because He's... You know, the triune God, but, but his job is to, to point to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He points to Jesus. He's not trying to get you know, people to look at him. He's trying to get people to look at Christ. But the Gospel of John teaches us that not only does he shine the light on Jesus, but he, he is with us and continues to teach us and to bring to remembrance all that Christ said through his word. And so that small urging in your gut or in your heart or just that small urging you sometimes feel, that conviction over sin, that prompting to become a missionary or to pray for someone or to take someone to dinner or to share the gospel with someone, that's God speaking to you. Now, how can we be sure that these inclinations we feel are in fact God speaking to us and not just some bad amicos from the night before? 
Well, that's because, and this is huge, make sure you hear this and understand that, God will never, ever, ever, ever say something to you that contradicts His Word. Ever. He, he, he won't do it. He will not do that. He's not a God of confusion. He will not contradict His Word. And so God not only speaks by His voice, the Spirit of God, He also speaks by His Word, the Scriptures. Right? In fact, Scripture is God's primary way of communicating today. His primary way. See, in Samuel's day, again, how many books of the Bible did they have at that time? Five. The Pentateuch. Penta, five. All right? Called the Torah, called the Law. Today we have 61 other ones as well. All, 2 Timothy 3, breathed out by God. And so we have everything we need for life and godliness. He has revealed all of this to us. And so God doesn't speak audibly. Not that He can't, but He doesn't usually work that way today because... He has no need to. He has given us the full revelation of Himself. The full story of redemption, creation, fall, redemption, and the coming restoration when Jesus comes again. And so friends, every time this Bible is read, whether here or in your home or in a Sunday school, that is God speaking. Unequivocally, 100% God speaking when we read the Bible or we hear it read. It is his primary way of communicating. So you want to hear God speak? Read your Bible. He's speaking. And as you think about the Bible, one thing that I've always found helpful when I think about the Bible is a metaphor that came from a reformer named John Calvin when he described the Bible as spectacles. He said that the scriptures serve as spectacles. Here's what he said. As we look through these spectacles, we see the world aright. Without the true vision provided by the scriptures, then our sight of humanity, our world, and our work becomes distorted in sin. So God's word illuminates our path and gives us the true story of the whole world, which culminates in the truth, Jesus Christ. And so the scriptures are spectacles through which to see the world, through which to see God, through which to see ourselves. All right, a third way that God speaks is through his people. That is the church. All right, not that the church provides like new information about God, but rather we speak to one another the scriptures. We help one another understand them. This is what Colossians 3 is getting after. When it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. All right? Fourth way then. So we've got His voice. That's the Holy Spirit. We've got His scriptures. That's... You know, his word. We've got his people, that's the church. And then fourthly, we have his world, all right? His creation. Listen to Romans chapter 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without 
excuse. And so creation just cries out that there is a God. There is a God who made the universe, and it is not an accident. And so just this past week, uh, Sarah and I traveled to uh, Colorado to go see her family. And while we were there, we went out to a place about an hour and 15 minutes away called Buena Vista, Colorado. And we went to uh, Mount Princeton Hot Springs, which is just amazing. You've got this super cold river flowing like snow melt. But then coming out of the side of the mountain is just super hot water. And you find the sweet spot and lay in it. And it's awesome. You've got cold on this side. You burn up on this side. Flip. You can cook yourself well, but it's a beautiful place. Enjoyed it, like just amazing. But in this place, you've got the collegiate peaks, 14,000 feet, that are, you know, over you. And it's just declaring the glory of God. But then you take that out even to, to a bigger level, to the macro level, and you look at the universe and the, the complexity of the universe and the size of the universe with a hundred billion galaxies, each with billions and billions of stars, and then you shrink it down to the micro, and you look at the complexity of DNA, and a little bigger than cells. This doesn't happen by chance. Creation declares, it cries out that there is a God. Now, it doesn't give us enough knowledge to know who that God is, Right? What we're talking about right now is called general revelation, but then special revelation, which is primarily the Bible, tells us who that God is. But that is a way that God speaks. So he speaks through his voice, through his scriptures, through his church, through his creation, and finally, through his son. Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so all of Scripture, all of it, points to the Son. It points to the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. He is the point of all of it. He's the one through whom we have redemption. He's the one through whom we can be made right with God. He's the one that is highly exalted and before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is is Christ to the glory of God the Father. And just as Hebrews says, the prophets point to Jesus. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so while the book of Samuel is the story of God's dealing with Israel, many of the characters reflect aspects of the coming Messiah. Because the prophets speak to us this way. And so just we'll do Samuel because we're talking about Samuel right now. Samuel's divine favor and calling mirror those of Jesus. As Hannah recognized that Samuel was a special um, instrument of God's hand. He was from the Lord. So Mary recognized that Jesus was from the Lord. As Samuel grew, so Jesus grew. As Samuel was priest and prophet and an almost king, chapter 8, Jesus is 
the true prophet, priest, and king. And Samuel's life and the entire book is pointing to this. Okay, it's, the whole book is going to be creating this divine yearning for the hero, for the Messiah to show up and rescue the people. And so a thousand years after this was written, he did. He came and lived a sinless life that no one else had lived and none of us do. And he came and substituted himself to pay the penalty that we deserve for our sin. And then three days later, he walked out of the grave in victory over sin and death. And it is this truth, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that's not the only thing, but it is the central point that God speaks to us through his voice, his scriptures, his church, his creation, and his son. God still speaks, primarily through his word, but he speaks. But if that's true, then there's one final question we've got to ask ourselves and and deal with. And that's why, if all of this is true, why do we have a hard time hearing God speak to us? Why, Why is it sometimes hard for us to hear God speaking to us? There's a couple of reasons. The first one is sin. Unrepentant sin in your life. I mean, you just think about Eli and his sons. They couldn't hear God's voice because of their sin. Uh, Eli could hear all that his sons were boasting about. He could hear all that the people were talking about how they sinned, but he could not hear God. In chapter 2, verse 29, this mysterious man of God says to him, You have honored your sons more than me by making yourselves fat with the best part of all of the offerings of my people Israel. But aren't we just like that a lot of times? We honor things, maybe even our sons and daughters, more than we honor God. We honor our jobs and our livelihoods. And our comfortability more than we honor God. Our hobbies more than we honor God. We, like Eli, often listen to the wrong voice because of our sin. We don't hear clearly from God and we listen to others. And then when we do hear God... We're like Adam and Eve after they sinned. And no longer is the voice of God comforting. Now it's terrifying. And we run from Him and we hide from Him. As one commentator put it, sin either stops up our ears from God's voice or makes God's voice terrifying rather than comforting. Sin causes us to fear God's voice rather than love God's voice. Sin is a barrier to hearing God. And then related, but I think it's enough distinct that I wanted to separate it out. Another aspect of, or a barrier to hearing God is unwillingness. Now that's obviously sin, but I want to talk about this unwillingness specifically. Again, here we look at Eli and his sons. They were unwilling to hear God. They preferred their sin, and so they refused to hear and obey God. And it seems that Eli was unwilling as well. Because he did question his sons, but he never like 
disciplined them. They never were without a job. He never fired them. He never put pre-church, church discipline on them. He was unwilling to do the hard but right thing. And it prevented him from hearing God. And so, again, what about you and I? Is there something in our life, is there something in my life that I am unwilling to do, to let go of, to wage war on, to fight against, to give up? And it's disrupting my relationship with Christ? Is there something in your life that you're unwilling to let go of? Or you're unwilling to begin to engage in. And it's disrupting your relationship with Christ. Unwillingness is a barrier. And not only is it an barrier, a barrier, but unwillingness to obey God's voice, like it did with Eli and his sons, ends badly. That's why it's dangerous to not hear from God. Point number one. But then the third way that we struggle to hear God's voice is this. It's just inexperience or lack of practice. And I want us to to, to see this and understand this and also to see the kindness and the patience of God in this. Inexperience. I mean, this this is Samuel, right? At the beginning of chapter 3, God comes to him four times before Samuel gets it. And it's not because Samuel doesn't know the Lord in the sense that he's unsaved, like we talked about earlier, but rather he's just inexperienced. He's never had direct direct experience with God. He has no prior practice of receiving God's word. And so no wonder God's call to him baffled him. Samuel was on untraveled ground. Their visions and the word from the Lord were not common in that day, verse 1 tells us. And so maybe that's us. Maybe that's why we have a hard time hearing from God. Maybe we're inexperienced at hearing God. Or we're out of practice. Maybe we've gotten lazy in our spiritual disciplines. Okay, reading the Word, meditating on the Word, praying to God. And maybe we've gotten lazy in putting ourselves into the spheres where we will hear God's Word. And if that's you, then hear the Lord calling you today to engage. To engage in those things, okay? Hear that clearly. But also, see the patience and kindness of God. I mean, when Samuel didn't go immediately, he didn't catch on immediately to what God was doing, God didn't heave an exasperated sigh. He did not berate Samuel for being so dense. He didn't launch into a tirade of how Samuel never gets anything right. He was patient. And he was kind. And he was gentle. And that's how he is with us as well. He's willing to give us time to understand him. He doesn't hold a stopwatch over us threatening, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do with you if you don't get yourself together. He's patient, he's kind, he's gentle. And any of us who cast a mental image of God as gruff and efficient 
and impatient and like a sergeant. We need to remember his patience and his gentleness with Samuel. And remember that he's that way with us as well. And yet at the same time, we need to learn to answer God the way Samuel did. Eventually. Here I am, for you called me. And so what is he calling you to? I mean, there are callings that every Christian is to have and share, a calling to believe in Christ, to grow in godliness, to study the word, and to speak God's word, even when it's hard, just as Eli did here, or just as Samuel did here to Eli. But then God's called and will call different individuals to different things as well. To take an interest in a certain person's salvation. To meet a ministry need in the church. To use your talents in business to bless many others. To teach children. To leave one's home to serve as a missionary on the field. To enter vocational ministry. To become a deacon. To become an elder. To become a teacher in the church. To become someone who serves. To make financial sacrifices for the support of some aspect of the kingdom. Oh, no, 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 We could go. But whatever it is, friends, let us together learn to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, for you called. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Because he still speaks. And so let us learn to listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We know that you speak to us. We can open its pages and hear you speak. And so, Father, help us to not so desire some other... Help us not desire a different way of you speaking than the one you've given us. And let us learn to hear from you. And let all that we read and all that we experience and all that we go through day in and day out roll up to make us think of Christ and what he's done for us through his life and through his death and through his resurrection the salvation that he gives not because of our obedience but because of his obedience in our place the forgiveness that we have, not because we do enough penance to pay off our sin, but because Christ is gracious and He paid for our sin on the cross. And then He validated it by His resurrection. And so, Father, as we come now to a time of reflecting on that, speak to us through Your Spirit about maybe sin that we have in our life that's preventing us from hearing you. Unwillingness to give up things or to start things that you are calling us to. Lead us to repentance. And then help us to live a life that's in keeping with that repentance for the praise of your glorious grace and the good of our own souls and those around us. 
whom you love and whom you died for and whom you want to see become part of your kingdom. Help us to be kingdom-minded in all that we say and all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.